How many of you watched tennis last night? How many of you will watch tennis tonight? Who is begging for Nick Kyrgios? How do you like to learn how to play tennis from Roger Federer? Or Nadal, or Djokovic, or Nick Kyrgios maybe? How many of you here want to learn how to play golf from Tiger Woods or Greg Norman? But I tell you what, we are learning how to pray from Jesus. So the passage that we are studying is a passage taught by Jesus on how to pray. And I think we need to pay a little bit of attention to that because it is Jesus' methods, Jesus' way of teaching us how to pray. Martin Luther said, To be a Christian without prayer is, not, is no, not more possible than to be alive without breathing. In order to be alive, we need to breathe. And in order to be alive as a Christian, you need to pray because prayer is like breath. A day without prayer is a day without blessing. And a lie without prayer is a lie without power. We have been talking about the Lord's Prayer and I have started by two weeks ago by highlighting the fact of what meaningful and genuine prayer begins. It begins in secret, we mentioned that, because what you've done in secret is, is real, because no one to impress, no one to, to, to show off is real. What you do in secret is, that is, that is just, it is. A meaningful and genuine prayer is sincere because Jesus was contrasting some pagans, they think with their many words that God can make, can almost like uh, twist God's arm into something else. But meaningful and genuine prayer is sincere, Jesus said, because God the Father already knows you even before you utter a word. He knows you. So you need to come to God with sincerity. Charles Spurgeon says that a mother can translate baby talk. Yeah, most mother here can identify. She comprehends incomprehensible noises. Even so, our Father in heaven knows all about our poor baby talk, for our prayer is not much better. God knows our heart. God is never blind to your tears, and He is never deaf to your prayers. And he's never silent to your pain. He sees, he hears, and he will deliver. So we can just come to God sincerely. Nothing to impress. Lord, this is what it is. So meaningful and genuine prayer begins in secret. It is sincere. And then Jesus went on to teach us the Lord's Prayer. And he began by teaching us how to address God. And his conclusion is that you address God as your heavenly father. He's not in any way to say that God is a male. He's identifying that God is a person. He is not opposed to she. He is opposed to it. That it is a person that we are praying to, not an it. Not only God is a person, He's accessible and He is close to us. 
He is as close as the mention of his name. And therefore, if you were to look at this sets of prayer that we look at, two sets of three, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, is God's word, and gives us our daily bread, forgives us our debt, lead us not into temptation, is us word. God's word first, and then the request will come. And so this morning, we are looking at the first petition that taught by Jesus. Jesus said, the first thing is address our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But truth be told, many of us actually don't understand the word hallow. Because this word is not a common vocabulary that we use in our daily lives. Has anybody actually heard this word being used in your daily conversation before? Hallowed. Probably it's in the Lord's Prayer that we learn this word. Or in a church when you recite the Lord's Prayer. So hallowed is one of those religious words many people grow up saying, but never knowing what it means. Pastor Caroline forwarded me a joke that said that Howard is God's name. Because one kid said, our Father in heaven, Howard be your name. <laughs> so this morning I mentioned that Howard, your name of God, Howard pretty smiling away. Hello is a Greek word, which is the word for Holy. Hello means to set apart as holy, to consider holy, to treat it as holy. And the best modern English word that probably best translates is the word reverence. Reverence. So to hello means to greatly revered, to greatly honored, or treat as holy or consecrated. So the next question then is, what exactly are we asking God to do when we pray this prayer? Jesus said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What exactly are we asking God to do when we pray this prayer? Hallowed be your name. What does it mean? If you were to look at these two sets, The first set, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, is all, there's a contrast of in heaven and on earth. Hallowed be your name in heaven and on earth. Your kingdom come in heaven and on earth. Your will be done in heaven and on earth. And so if we were to contrast, hallowed be your name, I want to begin by saying how God's name is being treated in heaven and how God's name is being treated on earth. And so when we pray this prayer, we are saying that, Lord, let what happens in heaven, that your name be also the same way it will be manifested here on earth. There are a few verses I want to give you about God's name. It says, Revelation 4, that day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And Revelation chapter 5, it says, Every creature in heaven joins in saying to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb who to be praised and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So if you read through the book of Revelation, you see that God is constantly revered and worshipped and adored in heaven. His name is exalted high. 
That is what happened in heaven. Then the next question is, what happened on earth? There is one verse in Isaiah chapter 52. God was saying through the prophet Isaiah how people are treating his name. This is what he says. All day long, my name is constantly blasphemed or my name is constantly despised. God's name is constantly blasphemed and God's name is constantly despised. So if you look at what heaven is, so the sin on earth could not be more different from the sin in heaven. We see in heaven is revered worship, adore, reverence, but on earth, God's name is constantly being despised and blasphemed. And so into that chasm, the difference, the, the space, the, we pray the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lord, our Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. As your name is being treated in heaven, so that we want your name also to be the same here on earth. Let your name be worshipped here on earth. Let your name be exalted. Let your name be honoured, treasured, adored on earth as it is in heaven. We are asking God so to move and act in the world that people around the globe will come to worship, treasure, and live for Him above all else. Father, please bring people to love, trust, worship, and adore you. Make that true of us in your church. Cause that to be true of me. May your name be given the unique reverence that is due your character and nature as the Heavenly Father. And so the first request is not that our needs will be met, but that God's name will be honoured and that His glory will be known here on earth just as it is in heaven. So the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray that God's name will be treated with the greatest of honour. Hallowed be your name. Interestingly, when, uh, when uh, Bible translators, when they update their version, because it's incredibly difficult to, to translate words, so the original Greek word and all that, so we, therefore we have a lot of versions of the Bible. Like for example, our, Bi our Bible reading, we use ESV, English Standard Version, because it's a little bit more literal. Whereas if you use NIV version or New International Version, it is not so literal. It has been translated by the translator to think that this word probably means this. So NIV is a translated version, whereas ESV is a more literal version. And therefore, it leaves it to the reader to decide how they want to interpret in some sense. So when the NIV update their version in 2012, they didn't update the word hello. Hello is still there. Even though it is an archaic word in a sense, but they still use hallowed beyond because they almost can't find any words to replace it. So what I want to do for the remaining time that I have, I want to give you three points. Because the, the question that we, I explained to you what it means now, the question then is, what will it mean for us to take seriously the significance of this phrase, hallowed be your name? I want to consider it with you in three dimensions. The first one, hallowing God's name in our words. Hallowing God's name in our words. 
it's quite common that a lot of us swear. Many people swear, use the name of Jesus as a swear word, especially in sports or something happened to you spontaneously, you will come up with swear words. I used to play a lot of badminton and they always swear when they hit the wrong shot or when they shot out, they miss a shot, they always swear. And I always ask them, why don't you use the word Muhammad? <laughs> why don't you try using Buddha or something else, Hare Krishna? Uh, and in the third commandment in the Bible, it says this, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And he went on to say that no one will be found guiltless if they misuse the word of God. I mentioned last week that the name of God is so holy in the Old Testament. Did you know that the name Yahweh, which is Old Testament word of God, is spelled Y-H-W-H? Can someone try to pronounce Y-H-W-H? You can't pronounce. It is impronounceable. Because it was meant to be that way so that people will not use God's name in vain. And so the translator, they have to add in two vowels to make that word pronounceable. They put an A and they put an E to make the word Yahweh. It was not so that people were not abused and used word, God's name in vain. And so when you take that as the framework and you think about the way in which we use the name of God today, I'm not talking about the big, obvious ones where people drop a hammer on their foot and invoke the name of God in a way that is wrong. Those are easy. We know it's wrong. But I want to point out some subtlety that we use God's word in a loosely manner, abusing God's word. I'm not saying that we don't use it, I'm just cautioning us that we need to use God's word carefully. Sometimes we use word, God's name flippantly in justifying the certain direction or action that we want to take. Or oh, God asked me to do that. God tells me to do this. And we need to be a little bit more cautious and careful. You know, it is never uh, some times ago, not in someone attended service, and then after I preached, this person will come to me and say, While you were preaching, I want to prophesy over you. I have something that God asked me to tell you. And then after the person did this thing, and attention for a little while, and then the person disappeared. You know, sometimes we can use this kind of words flippantly without being a little bit more cautious that whether or not we are using God's name in vain. I want to give you two examples from the Bible, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. The first one is a very common story that we are familiar with is Isaac, the second, the Abraham Isaac. Isaac is almost nearing his age of dying. And in the tradition, they pronounce and give the blessing to the firstborn child. 
And the firstborn of Isaac is Esau. Jacob is the secondborn. So Isaac said to Esau, Please go and prepare some food for me. Go out, hunt for food, cook it, bring it to me, and after I eat, I will pronounce my blessing on you. All right? So Esau went. But this conversation was heard by, by this lady behind, Rebecca, who is Jacob's mother. And she quickly told Jacob, now is the best chance for you to take that blessing from Esau. I want you to go and take stock from what we have, two choice young goats, so that I can prepare some tasty food, and then you can bring it to your father, and then after that the father will give the blessing to you instead of to Esau. In some way you can steal it from Esau. But Jacob is not that stupid. Jacob said, how? What, how about my voice? And then Rebecca probably believed that he can talk softly because of the heart of hearing. Maybe you can get by for that. And then Jacob said, what about my skin? My skin is so smooth. But Esau is very hairy man. And what if when they put the blessing on me, touch on my neck and all that, straight away he would know that I'm not Esau, I'm Jacob. So again, Rebecca said, no problem. Just wear some goat skin over you, you know, and then put on Esau clothes so that Isaac smell you thinking that you are Esau. So he did that. Brought the food to Isaac. Isaac's, Jacob said to the father, let me give you the actual words. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And then Isaac said, how did you find it so quickly? And look at the answer. The Lord your God gave me success. He chooses to abuse the name of God, refuses to hallow the name of God. He invokes the name of God in order to underscore his deceptions. Using the name of God to justify our direction, our actions. The Lord your God gave me success. You know, we are not beyond that. We can drop in the name of God and make the inference that the reason we are doing this or the reason we are doing that or the reason that is justifiable is somehow or another because God, and I'm a pastor. Sometimes pastors use these kind of words as well. I have a vision that God asked me to do this. I heard it enough. And then when it never happened, I always wonder what happened to that vision that God gave you. So we have to be careful. Don't use the name of God in vain 
to get what you want in some sense. Second example is in the New Testament. And that is in Mark chapter 7. They use the word called koban. The word koban means devoted to God. Jesus was having this conversation with the Pharisees. And Jesus said, you guys always have this problem of exalting your tradition above God's word. Always. God's word always is inferior. Tradition always come above God's word. And he gave them just one example out of many. All right? Out of many. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. And he continued, why? <sighs> Maybe a, he said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. He said, why? Because God, through Moses, said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. So the father and mother was in, in need of help. So naturally, the, the Jewish people said, the, the word of God said, honor your father and mother. Your father and mother now is in need. And you are in the position and you have the finance to help them. But this couple refused to help the parents. So what did they do? They said, Koban. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Koban, and that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. So you're saying that this sum of money I have, actually I can help my parents. But I don't want to help them. But to make it more, put it in a nice way so that when my parents won't see that I'm not failure, I say, Koban, I have set aside this money for God. So as a result of that, I don't have to help my parents. So Jesus is saying, you nullified the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. That was only one example that Jesus was pointing out to them. But they did many things like that. And so they used the name of God in vain. They are not hallowing God's name use that as a way to get out of something of your responsibility in a sense to make it sound more spiritual sound more right sound more acceptable but in reality is not the case so we are not hallowing God's name we are not wanting God's name to be magnified here on earth by this. And I've mentioned this many times before, before I move to point number two, not to worry, two and three is the shorter points. Uh, I mentioned before, sometimes our reasoning is conflict with scripture. To me, it is always necessary for us to submit to scripture's view than our reasoning. I, I, I shiver in some sense to see people elevate their own reasoning above the scripture's position. Where there's conflict, it's always safer to submit to God's 
word, God's position, then your own reasoning. Because bearing in mind, when you are a fallen creature, your fallen creature is affected you in every aspect, intellectually, emotionally, physically. That's why there's death. That's why there's illness, because we live in a fallen world. And it affects every compartment, even reasoning, emotion. Every aspect has been caused by the fall. And therefore, God's word is there to guide us. God's way is there to lead us in times when we are confused. So we must hallow God's name with our words. Don't use God's name flippantly and loosely. Secondly, we are to hallow God's name in our worship. The word worship means worship, W-O-R-T-H, worth. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our worship. There is a catechism, you know, in, in some Christian tradition in, in Anglican or the, the Presbyterian, they have this thing called catechism. He said, what is the, he asked the question, what is the chief end of per, uh, a band? What is your whole purpose as a person living on earth? They have an answer for you. Your chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the chief end of us creatures. So, if that is true, then true worship is focused on God and not ourselves. And the test of worship which hallows God's name is not whether it pleases us, but whether it pleases Him. You know how I wish all of us believers have this concept that worship is actually for God and not for us. Worship is Him, not us. If we can grasp this, then there will be very, very little conflict of, among churches about the style of worship, about the process of worship, about the primary thought of worship and all that. Because worship is God and not us. I hope you will be... How many of us actually come to church saying, on your way driving here, you say, Oh God, I hope that you will be pleased as a result of us gathering together this morning, today, hallowing your name, worshipping you. Whether I'm actually pleased or not is secondary in relationship to the question because I realize that the whole reason for my existence is that you, oh God, may be glorified. That we come here, worship is for you, not for us. And that is why Psalms 115 said, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. How many of us come to church on your way here thinking of that, that may our gathering worship be honoring to God's name? Or are you driving to church? Oh, I hope today music don't be so loud. Oh, I hope Pastor Glenn's sermon, short, short one, <laughs> not so long. I pray and hope that his sermon will be comprehensible, easy to understand, lots of stories. They always have a joke about pastor. They said six, six days they are, six days they are, uh, what is the word? Six, six days they are invisible. One day they are incomprehensible. 
And one person came to me and said, Pastor, how nice, you only work one day a week. <laughs> I was a little bit sarcastic. I said, I said, no, I'm sorry, I work two hours on Sunday. <laughs> but the point of the matter is worship actually is for God, not for us. You come here is to worship God. When I'm visiting Malaysia, when I visit my uh, wife Lorna's hometown, Malacca, if it's Overlap Sunday, I will always go to the church in the heart of the city. Church of Christ, Malacca. It has been there like maybe 275 years, built by the Portuguese and then the Dutch and then passed to the English. Uh, I always, British, uh, I always go there for service. And it is the most liturgical type of service. You know, you take a prayer book, ding dong, dong, ding, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. It's just to and fro, you know. Uh, but I tell you what, I love it. I enjoy it. Because sometimes we don't know how to pray. The words there written is so beautiful. It helps to put into words what you can't put into words sometimes. Sometimes you don't know how to pray. You don't know how to worship. And those are the things that guide us from years of tradition that builds up the history of that. And beautiful words. I enjoy that. Why? Because worship is not about me. Worship is for God. A couple of years ago, we were in London and we stayed with uh, one of our friends who lives quite near to Windsor Castle. Uh, and we, he brought us to the church that he attends early in the morning, 8 o'clock, and probably only 10 people. Again, is prayer book. Kneel down, stand up, pray. Kneel down, stand up. I love it. Because it's so reverence coming to the presence of God in the stillness, kneeling down. How often do we kneel down here? How often do we kneel down? I know some people kneel down, they cannot get up, I understand that. <laughs> but how often do we kneel? How often do we bow in prayer? Why is it that only Muslim bow in prayer? The reverence, posture always affect attitude. Posture affect your attitude. If you always pray only when you're lying in bed, you always be casual with God. Posture does affect attitude. Worship is for God and not for us. I read this a while ago about This worship song that we used to sing, I, I'm, I'm not too sure we have sung this before. I worship you, Almighty God. You know, I worship you, Almighty God. There is none like you. You know, I worship you, O Prince of Peace. This is what I want to do. I wish sometimes I can change the word, what I ought to do. I think we have moved so far away from ought, our duty. We so much focus of, of one. It must be one. I want to do it. Of course, that's good. But sometimes, what if you don't want? You ought to. 
I like the word ought because it is our duty. It, it actually makes you do the right thing. We ought to worship God. We ought to because He has redeemed, He has saved us. I read recently about during the time of the Cultural Revolution in China when a group of believers had gathered for worship. And as the worship went on in praise and song and testimony and the teaching of the Bible, it eventually came to an end. And as it ended, five young men stood up on the front row and they turned around and they told the congregation they had something to say. And then they identified themselves as having been sent there by the Chinese government. And the reason that they had, been, they had attended worship was in order to, that they might observe, that they might identify the ringleaders, and that they might arrest them. And they stood up and said, you know what? Having been here with you for the last few hours, we know that God is really among you. And instead of wanting to arrest you now, we actually want to join you. And I was just saying, it's not going to happen in an average half-baked worship service. That the people must be able to see that these believers are really alive. They are really wanting to worship God. That they can see the life in coming together to worship because worship is for God not for us and unfortunately we live in an entertainment culture that whenever we are attending things like that and our service is structured in such a way that it's almost like a show in that sense that we are so used to being entertained we are there to receive but in reality worship is for God we are gathering together is there so that we can worship God and God hallowed his name, that his name be glorified. We can hallow in God's name in our words, and we can hallow God's name in our worship, and finally, we can hallow in God's name in our witness. You know, the effect of praying the first petition, hallowed be your name, is that you will grow in worship of God. Lord, I want your name to be hallowed. Let my life bring honor. I want your name to be magnified, to be revered, to be adored here on earth. And then the next question that we have to ask is, who bears God's name in the world? And of course, the obvious answer is that we do. We are the bearer of God's name because we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. We saw that God's answer to a world that despises His name is the people who knows His name. Just now I quoted the verse, Isaiah 52, on earth that people despise God's name. Paul actually quoted this verse in Romans chapter 2 and he added one more phrase in there. He said, who despise God's name? Why they despise God's name? Why they blaspheme God's name? Paul says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Of course, Paul was 
telling the Jewish people, you, God chose you as a nation, gave you laws, gave you land, so that as a nation of Israel, you represent God on earth. You are a model so that people can see God through you as a nation. He said, but you as a nation has failed. So the Gentiles now blaspheme God because of you. You know, my friend, this is, this is exactly what we are like in some sense, isn't it? We see the damage that comes to the name of Jesus or God and the reputation of God when the world sees someone who bears his name act in a way that is obviously inconsistent with the faith he or she possesses. I mean, how many of us are, knows that? You know, Mohandras Gandhi used to say, I would have become a Christian if not because of Christians. Because he went to a church and they chased him away. You don't belong here. He said, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I love your Jesus, you know? But I hate the church. Paul is saying, you are called to be God's answer to the world's blasphemy. And Paul said, as a nation, you are becoming the cause of it. And the reality is we bear God's name. We carry the banner of the Lord's name. And if we live in a way that is inconsistent with the name that we bear, then we invite the world to blaspheme God's name. And therefore, my friend, this prayer is not for the faint-hearted. Hallowed be your name. May your name be revered. May your name be honored. May your name be reverenced in this world. Let me close with this. Last Thursday, I left church about after five and it was slightly, slowly getting dark and it was drizzling. And so I want to go home, put on my beanie, check all heater off, and I hop into the car, but I need to drop by Woolies to get a carton of milk. So it is it's one of those trips that you just want to park your car, walk straight to the Woolies, get into the milk section, grab it, and walk out. I can do it. Some people can't do that. Some people will be distracted easily. Oh, it's on sales. <laughs> oh. But I can do that. Men tend to go for what they need, just go in, buy, and come out. And therefore, they always hurry their wife. And then when my wife asks me, why hurry, we are nothing. I say, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Come, come, let's go, let's go. Go where? <laughs> go home for what? It's still nothing, you know? <laughs> for some strange reason, we just want to go, 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 go where? Go what? For what? <laughs> so I went in there, grabbed a milk, go to the counter, tah, tah, exit. But as I was, immediately when I stepped one foot out of the entrance, this man sat there with a play card. Please help me. He was sitting in an awkward position. Very, was wearing t-shirt, dirty hair, very mad, messy. You can tell that he hasn't been 
taking his shower for a long time. I look at him. I say, I got no money. Who carry cash nowadays? You know, unless you got a bar there, you can tap, you know. How to help? And so I dash to my car. There's something about this man I cannot explain. Maybe because he's seated in an awkward position. Maybe he, his look is a very desperate look. Maybe because I'm bathing myself, preparing this sermon for a few hours at church, my spirit was a bit more sensitive. And so I dashed to the car. I said, maybe I have some coins in my car. So I go and get it. I counted $4.40. I said, I'm going back to give it to this man. So I walked back. And as I put the money into his empty container, I say, may you know Jesus and may our Heavenly Father provides your daily bread. And I put it in. And he said, thank you, sir. On my way home, his image keep appearing on my mind. And I say, our Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. May your name manifest in this man's life. May he worship you. May he adore you. May he revere your name. Hallowed be your name in this city, in this place that we are in. May you do a little for Jesus. May you hallowed his name. May you make his name great with the little that you can do or whatever that you can do. The founder of World Vision has a quote that always inspires me, and I want to close with that. He said, we cannot do everything for everyone, but we can do something for someone. What we can do, we must do. What we must do, we will do. And I leave that thought with you that we can hallow Christ's name wherever you are in this planet. Father, we thank you for your word. Hallowed be your name. We want to revere your name. May your name that is exalted in heaven, angels singing, worshipping, praising, be here on this earth. Your name is constantly being blasphemed. Your name is constantly being despised. Lord Jesus, May we hallowed your name here on earth. We know one day it will happen. Now while we are here, we pray, we do a bit of whatever we can. Let's not give excuses. Let's devote our lives in service to you in our daily lives. In our daily lives by changing our attitude, by hallowing your name. Lord, thank you. We bless you. We worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we...